everyone. Welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today, I have two guests with me, uh, Les Newsom and John Stone. Um, I did not go back to, to look at the episode number, but but Les and John have both been on together. I think that was Les's first time on the podcast, and John has been on several times. Lost count of that, um, but I appreciate you guys uh, coming back. Why don't we do just some brief introductions, Les, if you want to start, and then John. Yeah, I'd first like to say, wait, John's been on more times than me with some of that. No, we've got we've got to work <laughs> on that. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I mean, if I if I need to be anybody standing and fill in, I mean, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Les Newsom, I'm pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church in Oxford, Mississippi, for about the last three years. Uh, he, say more than that. That's good. <laughs> I'm John Stone, uh, lived for about twenty three years in Knoxville, Tennessee, worked for RUF, and then transitioned. Uh, from RUF to Tucson, Arizona, where I am this morning. I'm happy to be here. I'm pastor of Catalina Foothills Church, married to Marissa, and got three grown daughters. So yeah, my last one just got, my first one just got engaged. So yay, March 26, we're spending a lot of money for people who didn't spend a lot of money. (laughs) Well, hey, congrats on that. That's exciting. Hey, thank you. Thank you. We're fired up for Sarah and Logan. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have opinions on our topic today, but I've got lots of opinions on how you need to make sure that that um, rehearsal dinner runs. Hmm. Rehearsal right. dinners are the bane of church, uh, of wedding experiences, in my opinion. And I, <laughs> if you want to do a whole podcast on that, I could walk John through all the various and sundry. No, no, no. But I, you know, Les, I strongly agree with you on this one, but, but I, I don't have control of it. I'm the father of the bride. And it is extraordinary. Sorry, Pierre, but we're going to. No, no, I was going to say, look, hey, we're, we're here. Let's let's jump into this a minute. Y'all go uh, ahead. Let's hear it. Rehearsal dinners are, um, I mean, I can come up with 30 categories, but I'm just going to say they're the biggest lie I've ever been involved in in my life. We bring, a bunch, we bring a bunch of people to town for a really beautiful, important moment. And we all feel the need to talk about it. I mean, the best ones are comedic where like the families know how to make fun of their particular, you know, uh, family member that, you know, the brothers, sisters make fun of the sister getting married and the brothers, sisters make fun. And that's it. But th- these things get into these sort of like, man, I wouldn't be in Christ if it wasn't for you, which completely denies the sovereignty of God, the work of the church and union with Christ just utterly denies it. and. And when he was bringing that guy to Christ, this is not going to be mentioned. He was not only dating, but potentially doing other things with a different girl who suddenly <laughs> disappeared in history, who took up like three years. And dude, you're the best. And I remember when you met Susanna, when you were cheating on Gina and y'all got together. And I just knew this was the one, even though you were cheating. That's literally what happens. Less have I gone too far like I always do. So, look, look if, if, it were, if it were more of that, I think I would be okay. <laughs> Where my eyes start to roll back in my head is when you have what, what my wife and I and I have termed as the what we call the obligatory bridesmaid. Because the bridesmaid who is a Christian because the bride was so sweet to her and talk, took her to RUF for the first time, she's already shared and she just didn't leave a dry eye in the house. So the obligatory bridesmaid now sits there and thinks, well, crud, I can't be the one who has nothing to say. So she gets up and she gets stuck in what my wife and I now refer to as the and loop. 
<laughs> you're standing there and you're kind of like, and I just want you to know that I think we're so excited for you and tomorrow's going to be great for us. And we just love you so much. I can't tell you how much you've meant to me. And you're in an and loop. You can't get out. And everybody's just like, just finish it. Stop. Stop talking. Just sit down. Drives but, that's the, 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 uh, the, uh, the rehearsal is struggling from the same thing the PC is. It doesn't know why it gets up in the morning. So as a, as, as a leader of a church, as a leader of a podcast and a ministry, John, I know you're at the very top of the food chain. Like, unless you know why you get up in the morning, you're going to wander around and be confused. You're going to do some good things and bad things. And what is a rehearsal dinner? I think theoretically it should be a barbecue with people wearing shorts and we should practice that thing for 30 minutes. We see barbecue and then we say, we're so glad you're here. Now let's go get some sleep and enjoy tomorrow where there's a big, but no, we've got to talk about people in a way that is, I mean, some of it's true, but it's like, it's too long. It's exhausting. Now they've got to go out afterwards and hang out with these people because they've all flown to town. They haven't seen the whole thing is a disaster. It should be, a, it should be a rehearsal lunch and not a rehearsal dinner, but okay. Sorry, Parrot. You can close it all that out. Anything true or I don't even know if I start talking about what parents do at them, like you really won't be able to put it. <laughs> I just hope any um, bridesmaids, groomsmen don't listen to this because they're going to be just absolutely paranoid now if they're about to give a speech. If, if, or... if, if that four minutes of ranting from Les and me has people saying less at rehearsal, rehearsal dinners, you're welcome. Oh, <laughs> the world is a better place if that happens. <laughs> Yeah, definitely did not see the podcast going in this direction, but that, that's interesting. <laughs> some some good thoughts. And, and I'm, I'm not joking when I say this. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. Um, what I was going to say as I was introducing you guys, uh, the two of you were both main speakers at uh, a summer conference this summer. Those who know RYM know that we have six summer conferences. Les, you were a high school one. And John, you were high school two. Is that right, guys? I don't know the way y'all named the weeks. That's a compliment. Y'all do so many of them. I was the one where you had to speak three times in the night. Um, I don't mean that bad. I just don't know what week that was, John. That's how I would. Yeah, that's right. It was high school too. Yeah. He's not sure about that at all, as you can hear in his tone. (laughs) I mean, it it was, yeah. Well, something I was just curious as I was thinking about the two of you speaking at, at a conference, um, it's just kind of the behind the scenes of, of the conference for you guys. Um, you know, thinking what are some of the biggest challenges uh, to being a main speaker at a conference? This is can be, you know, emotionally, spiritually, just internally. Some of the, the challenges of, you know, you're getting up, you're speaking every night. People are listening to you. You're trying not to care too much about it, but at the same time, you do care about how you're being received. Um, and I mean, you're speaking in front of teenagers, so that's that's a challenge as well. But just kind of give us a picture of the behind the scenes of just some of what you would say would be some of the biggest uh, challenges, difficulties, besides the fact that you spoke three times in one night. Um, Les, John, who wants to jump in there? I'll jump into this one. I, I, I appreciated, but also felt fairly challenged by the topic from this summer. Um, you know, this idea of unity in the midst of um, uh, the, the, the fracturing of our culture in the last 18 months with COVID and with racial divisions and with political unrest, I, I, I found that to be especially, um, it, was, it was difficult because I, I don't get a sense that high school students in general are really 
furiously fretting over those necessary kinds of topics from a national sort of broader scale. Um, at the same time, though, I did recognize that it's a daily challenge for a high school student to live with conflict, and especially the conflict that's born of insecurity and the conflict that's born of not really knowing who you are and where you fit in the world and what your place is in the world. And so we definitely tried to bend it in that direction when it came to uh, uh, managing that topic. But I, I thought it was a fairly, um, it, was, it was a unique sort of turn for us to take when it came to that. Um, so I don't know, John, what would you say about it? Well, I have a bunch of things to say. So, um, I mean, this was the most challenging topic RYM's ever given me. I, I was asked to do the Sermon on the Mount once for a weekend conference long ago, and that was harder. Sermon on the Mount, is, you can't do three or four talks on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, you, you can pull three or four things out, but it was a, it was a challenging topic. Um, and I, I would say it was really, it's, if, uh, if, for instance, a church came and asked me to do that topic, and I know something about the church, I could have done the topic probably a little bit better. I don't, I don't know that I was bad. I might have even been good. I, I'm, that's not digging for conflict. What I mean is, so who are you and why are you asking me to do this topic? Well, um, you're a church that's been in real involved in the unity movement, and it's been hard and complicated. And so, so I know how to come as a pastor and preacher and really maybe give you some biblical ideas of how to do it, or if, if RUF asked me to do it, I kind of know where college students' minds and hearts are. What was hard about that topic for RYM is you have sitting in that room everything. You have people who are um, extremely conservative, who, uh, um, who don't think there is any validity to things like Black Lives Matter or uh, Me Too movement or all of the things that are involved in our culture. And as much as people will want to hear this podcast, say, well, John has an opinion. I don't. I just know that people who think 100% Black Lives Matter is wrong, it should simply be rejected. It shouldn't be engaged. Then on the other hand, in that room, not nearly as many at RYM were people who were like, hey, I think there's a lot of validity what sort of Black Lives Matter said. And, you know, they're getting at something. And so to walk into that room and to do unity was essentially really difficult. Because you, you, you know, if someone had said do justification or do um, the kingdom of God or do sanctification from Old Testament biblical characters, there's a lot of unity around what that looks like. Now, you may jump into some applications of sanctification, but it's hard. And I just think that the diversity of RYM made that particular topic hard. And I think the pandemic has so confused all these issues um, just that way. I mean, I had a particular... Uh, you know, one of the counselors was really frustrated by one of the talks I did and, you know, it really engaged me in a biblical, loving, kind way. The engagement was wonderful. After that engagement happened and, you know, we had some, and, she, and it happened to be a woman in this case, we talked about it later on that week and it made some progress. Four other counselors came up, us, the best thing I've ever heard. And, you know, I hadn't really had that before, John. Um, so I, I would just say this points out one of the hard things about being a conference speaker's topics. Like I, I'm, it's way better and RYM can't do this, but it's way better when someone calls me and says, we want you to come to our church and do a weekend. And I say, what do you want me to do? And they go, just bring your best stuff. Just give us a topic. And I might say, well, sanctification I want to do, or I want to do uh, hot potatoes in first Corinthians. Cause I'm doing like the topic of a conference can be really hard. 
And that can be the real challenging part. If, if, if it's, if they give you a topic and that's fair, I mean, that's fair. That makes it more difficult to navigate than if they say, do, do some stuff that you're really comfortable with. Um, so in that sense, RYM is different. I, I would say one of the hard things about being a conference speaker is what is that weekend to me or what is that week to me? Like at RYM, let's, let's lay this summer aside. I had to do something unique for RYM this summer. You don't normally do that, but is it a work week? Yes. Is it a vacation week? Sort of. It's a lost week. Do I preach coming in? Do I preach coming out at my church? That's, that's a big challenge. How tired am I? Am I, you know, in my case, again, I'm pretty unique to RYM because where I moved, I was on the board forever. I'm very, I'm sort, I worked for RYM for a season, but like, I can't get there in a day anymore. So I've got to take the Sunday off before. That means I need to preach the Sunday after. Not always. What is that week? Um, if my wife and children come, they want to be on the beach and play and go out and eat. And it's, uh, that's its own dilemma. And um, it's a very rewarding week look i it's an honor and a privilege those aren't i know there's a little bit of a butt coming but i mean it's just to have been asked to speak to that many people on behalf of christ massively honoring and loving and and and, and affirming and good and it's a privilege but it wipes you out i mean it's a, it's a week you lose your voice a little bit or your voice gets weaker it's tiring um Am I having fun? Do I do I eat in the cafeteria and engage people for an hour and a half after talk before? That can be hard and good and fun. And do I let people pull me into a courtyard conversation for three hours before I have to get up and speak to them? All of those are hard questions, John. They're, you know, behind the scenes, people want to get to the speaker completely fair. The speaker should be available. How much can a speaker be available and then speak well? And RYM is always going to have you speak twice at least, unless maybe it's some junior highs. Um, and, you know, the hardest thing about all Ryan for me anymore, and I think is it's not a comfortable place to sleep. It's hard to get good sleep there. It's, you know, the beds are what That's they are. Related comment right there. <laughs> but, but this is true. Well, but this is true, you know, back in the day, Les. I mean, I, I would guess do a lot of REF conferences. And you go to a nice tech place in Texas where it's this big ranch. Well, the beds aren't comfortable. Or they put you in this grandmother's suite with a king-size bed that's creepy as crud and the bed was old like I, i'm thankful but I've, I've seldom gone to a conference and thought man i slept like a king that weekend or the shower was good or i got to keep exercising well that week or the food was good and um so i got a question for you stone do you no, so I just, no, i'm trying to answer his question it's like behind the scenes people might say Les Newsom did an amazing job that week, and he was really available. Les Newsom may struggle through that next Sunday morning and stagger into Monday morning and think, I got to take a day off and drink some adult beverages and relax a little bit because, you know, it took a lot out of me physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I would do it every day. I'm glad to do it. But behind the scenes, you do a talk and there's another talk coming. And no preacher, I mean, sometimes I've gone to a conference with everything sort of buttoned up, but you got to sit down for an hour and prepare for that. Um, the last thing, Les, I'll let you talk, forgive me. One of the hardest things, John, is you walk out of a talk, and the normal thing is there's like 40 minutes between those. And people tell you, you were either fantastic or unclear. I mean, you get both feedbacks. And learning to ignore them both and do the same thing again and not fix what was unclear 
or fix, you know, um, I've had somebody pull me aside and say that talk was unclear. You, 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 I think you're wrong about this. That passage doesn't say that. And you just sort of have to, when you're going to do it again, go, man, I'm really thankful. I'm going to consider that and step back up there and with confidence keep going. That can be challenging mm-hmm. at times. So sorry. I hope that I was ready for that question, John. I think. <laughs> I think. No, that was good. Les, you were wanting to ask something. No, Stone, do you prefer preaching to um, a, a more secular audience or for a more conservative audience? And what did you find RYM this year to be? Um, I pref- it's a good question, Les. I prefer speaking to a secular audience. I'm better at speaking to a conservative audience because yeah. I came out of that. I was a born and raised a Christian in a very conservative church that did teach me the gospel and that Christ, the beauty of Christ and that salvation is in him alone. That, and I came out of, and I came out of a don't dance, gambling's evil, you know, um, just a, a, a good Christian, but fundamentalist background. Yeah. And so I understand sort of how they sit in the world and there's still some of that in my heart and I appreciate it. Well, the it's reason much, why I'm asking is, is because when it's I look much back, easier, but it's easier to speak to sort of uh, a confused. It's harder to pull people left. They need to move left at times. I mean, move left. I mean, left to the center of truth, not left out of truth. It's easier. It's a little easier to. Pull, it's getting a little easier, believe it or not, out here to pull people right. I mean, this is a podcast worth having. The big bad secular people. This last election, they they're not happy either. And I don't mean with Biden or Trump. Like we have people attending our church now who've walked in and said, We don't believe this. We didn't grow up with this. We're scared of it. We have got to find some people who believe something to help us with our children. So yeah. that's not the entirety of the culture. There's still that sort of we hate, but it's easier to like, I got this guy who's just tracking with me and he's not sure it's true. And he's just, and there's more than one. So I, I prefer the left to understand the right. I found R, I found this topic for RYM to be quite honestly risky um, for me personally and for RYM as a separate entity. And I had to be super careful with it. I didn't say all that I really thought about it, especially to, especially to high schoolers. Well, especially when high school parents are in the room as well. I, yes. I found the same thing. I, I, I would say that the, the, any, any um, constructive or I don't, it wasn't, it's never negative feedback because you always appreciate when someone comes and gives you a sense of how you're coming across to people. But I got far more aggression for times in which I was really trying to stretch what I knew was a room full of very conservative minded kids um, um, than I would from you know, statements affirming basic biblical orthodoxy to that particular cross-section of students, of which I think more and more are coming to RYM, um, who are quite secular and outside of any of the bounds of Christian orthodoxy. And, and that surprised me in the sense that the pushback that I got from people who, if you can put a high school student on the right or the left of the political spectrum, it clearly was the kids from the right and the parents from the right that were the most anxious, the most nervous, the most weirded out by some of the comments that I had made trying to push people from either side. 
Uh, and I, for whatever reason, I found that interesting. I'm not trying to make any broad sociological conclusions from that, other than the fact that reactionism happens from both ends of a spectrum. Whether you're coming from a fundamentally biblical, historical, orthodox perspective, there was a lot of anxiety around trying to interact with how I live with my African-American brother. And you know, isn't what you're saying being too accommodating to that side? And uh, you know, there was, there was, there was more anxiety than I expected there to be from a side that I knew that I was trying to push more towards the center. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you, you two this question as well. Are, I mean, you're, are, you're are, both... we, are we answering your question just to be clear? Yeah, totally. No, I mean, it was a broad question and I wanted you guys to answer it however you, uh, you, you thought about it. Um, the two of you are lead pastors. You, you speak every week um, in front of, you know, a group of people that you know well. How, how does it shift your speaking when you arrive at a, um, you know, retreat, a conference where you're not in relationship day audience, but when you're preparing it to give a talk, uh, to a bunch of people you don't quote unquote live with week in and week out. Um, how does that shift your your message or does it shift your message? I don't know. Who wants to jump in? I, I'll go first. It, I, it doesn't shift my message a lot, John. I mean, it, 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 it's like if I were to be asked to speak more coming out of Tucson, it might shift it. I mean, just for instance, and I, I don't know there are way I'm ought to skate in those waters a lot, but um the racial dynamics in Tucson have some similarity to the Southeast. We have an African-American community, and but we have, a, a, you know, more than half of our town are Americans who are of, of Mexican, you know, an ethnic background. They're American citizens. And, they, and in this culture, those who are Americans who are Mexican are, they're very poor. They are lower middle class or a blue collar, they're a middle class or upper middle class is extremely rich. Like it's a full bore culture. And quite honestly, they have a much stronger view of family and marriage than the Caucasian community. I'll just use that one. Um, and so it's a, I just have a whole different group of dynamics, you know, racially uh, in my town. This is a very liberal part of the world compared to Knoxville, Tennessee. So you are, you know, I do think differently than when I come to RYM. And so I don't tend to have to rewrite my applications. Um, but until this year, and this isn't to pick on this year, the, the topics have been broad enough where you, it was just sort of easy shooting in a good sense, do justification or do kingdom of God or do prayer or do glorification. And, you know, Christians can all really agree on that to some extent, whereas when you say do unity, you actually have some churches teaching that unity is sinful. You actually have that going on. And if you join with this, you're leaving Jesus. And so that made it a much more complicated thing to navigate through. Um, but I don't, I think because it's high, if, if you ask me to go to another church, I might feel a little lost if I didn't know anything about that church. You kind of know what RYM is in general. I mean, in general, you do. The only thing that I would that I would say to that uh, parrot is is <clears throat> I, that I, on many occasions I've taken some comfort from the fact that you've got multiple letters in the Pauline epistles, uh, but Romans was written to a group of people to whom Paul had never actually face to face visited, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason I've always I think most exegetes will see Romans as being addressed to an audience that. Um, you know, was, was generic. The message was generic, as it were, 
<clears throat> to what we assume Paul would have said to any people to whom he had not yet visited. Yeah, he deals with specific issues and things by the time you get to the end of the chapter, end of the book. Uh, but initially starting in on, you know, the universality of sin, uh, the condemnation of, you know, um, uh, of, of religious insiders and watching people work between running away from God using their irreligion, which is the second half of Romans 1, but also running away from God using their religion, uh, the, second, the first of uh, chapter 2 in, in Romans. For whatever reason, that's always kind of drawn comfort for me because I'm like, these are universally applicable. Uh, it doesn't matter which audience that I've kind of run into. They wrestle with these issues of knowing how I relate to my creator, to my, to my you know, what the, what the natural world around me stands for. Um, I, I can rest in those a lot better than I think. So for whatever reason, that's kept me from really being too nervous about, oh, no, I don't know these people. What are they wrestling with? Well, I know a lot of what they're wrestling with because the Bible leads me into that. Hmm. Uh, that's helpful to hear. And, I, and again, it's just, to me, it's interesting to think kind of behind the scenes. Sometimes people show up to conferences and they just sit and they listen of the message, they receive it, and they just kind of go out and go about their day. But to kind of think about, okay, the, the pressures, the challenges, the difficulties of being that one who's standing up and speaking in front of a, a bunch of people, it's just interesting to consider and to, to give some people, you know, behind the scenes, as I said. Um, and as I said to you guys pre-recording, uh, there wasn't a, a whole lot of agenda to this uh, specific podcast episode. Um, those who are listening, um, Sam Albury, Lord willing, will be joining us next week to talk about his book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, uh, subtitle, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves. And so something less, and John, I did want to ask the two of you just a little bit as, as lead pastors in a church, how do you guys seek to address body-related issues from the pulpit um, from just, again, you're, you're living with these people in this con congregation, you're having uh, con conversations over coffee, over um, meals together. Uh, how do you guys try to touch on this subject, discuss this subject? I mean, any body-related issues, we're talking about a broad spectrum of issues that, that can come to the surface. Um, how do you guys seek to lead your congregations in those ways? Well, I think more than we ever have, we're going to have to, and it's 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 great. I've got actually a, a real life, <clears throat> very present example. So uh, one of my Sunday school teachers called in sick on Friday and asked me to cover for Sunday school yesterday morning. We we're recording this on a Monday, um, and so uh, we were end up talking about um, uh, from um, uh, the, the 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 outline of the covenants. We talked about first uh, Genesis 1 and 2 as the pattern of the kingdom and <clears throat> started walking through exactly how God lays out, you know, God's people in God's place and our God's rule, just how we understand kingdom theology and the covenant. And, and of course, when I got to the question of, of how the Bible patterns right relationships in Genesis chapter 2, you've got a right relationship to God where he gives his people his, you know, um, marching orders men relate to God in a personal way. They walk with him in the cool of the day, but they also have a right relationship with each other. Um, and there's orderliness that's given there where the woman comes along as a helper and the man uh, comes along as the one who names the animals. And what I said was, I said, you know, we're, we're increasingly headed towards a time when uh, gender as a construct is um, being brought more and more into question, absolutely being questioned. Um, and I said, we're going to have to wrestle through this question of whether or not God's word actually really does pattern 
uh, our expectation about what you know femininity and masculinity can actually be um, to a rising generation who are being more than just indoctrinated, but actually force-fed uh, concepts that you know are going to be quite antithetical to what we know we have from Genesis one and two when it comes to God's orderliness in our maleness and our femaleness. Um, so I just, I literally brushed past that. And I had three people come up to me after the service and say, if you ever would do a, um, a seminar on this topic, I think you'd have more people show up than you think. And because it was very pressing. One of them, which was a doctor. I had a doctor approach me afterwards and say, I'm faced with this every single day in my practice of being challenged by uh, medical uh, norms that are coming down from American Medical Society, whatever else comes out <clears throat> with research saying that we have to affirm whatever a child says they are in their gender, regardless of biological sex or chromosome. So I, my guess is, is what Sam's gonna dive into is gonna be a lot of application in that direction. Uh, and I for one be interested in hearing what he has to say. Yeah, John, what, what about you, Les? That was good. Um, if I've addressed it, so I've been in this, the pastor Catalina Fiddles Church for three years and uh, was not really preaching to a congregation for the years I was an assistant coordinator. I did a lot of preaching, but not a lot of in front of the same group. The body question comes at me sort of, the main way the body question comes at me, and so it's possible somebody in my congregation can hear this. So I hope they can, when I say this, they can come hear me out on this and understand what I'm saying. But I think, unfortunately, the way that this question comes to me mostly is scared parents wanting me to preach clear sermons that homosexuality, transgender, uh, any sexual disorientation is sinful and God hates it. I've had that language used towards me. Um, I've, I've certainly had what Les had. I've got a couple of doctors navigating that. What, is, what does it mean to be a doctor in a world where you have to take patients who want this and you might need to send them to a surgeon and, and you know, and all these type of questions. And these are fair questions. When I have addressed it, John, it's just because it came up in the text. So uh, let me commend this to all pastors. I think the most applicable book currently for the for the church in the United States is 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians is written to a church in Corinth that's primarily secular. It wasn't a place where the, the majority of those converted were Jews converted into Christianity. And you're sort of fighting that classic, them trying to pull Christ back into Judaism and just make Judaism, Judaism plus Christ. That's so much of the New Testament. It's actually people who go to the Greek temples and... Um, and man, it just touched on gender over and over. And when I, and I, I don't know Sam, I don't know, I've I had never heard of Sam to give me the book. So that's just full disclosure. Um, I, it, it's a book straight. I look forward to reading it. But when I've addressed it, it's it, the way I've addressed it is um, it's a created order question. So I think that the, I think the, I think Western culture, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an academically oriented guy, but I think, I was a history major. The scope of Western culture in um, enthroning the individual is struggling deeply with what's actually true, and that is that we aren't free. We don't have choices. We're born to a certain set of parents with a certain genetic pattern. 
Um, we can't be, you can't you quit telling kids graduate high school, you can be anything. You can be very few things. You, we, you have this very narrow skill set that God's going to use. And so when I've come out of John, it's from a creative standpoint. God made them male and female. And God, you know, this is sort of, I would tie this into election. I don't understand all of election, but like God sovereignly decreed who would be a Christian and who would not. And God has sovereignly decreed in that moment when I was conceived. And I wasn't conceived because my parents um, were sexually active. I was conceived because God chose to conceive me. He used the act of my parents. And he sovereignly made me a male or he sovereignly made me a female. And none of us want to submit to that. And most of the way I've come at, come at that is that, you know, it, I mean, this is what Roman, early part of Romans said. We're, we're shaking our fist at God as a culture saying, we will not submit to you. We will not submit to the way you made us. We will not submit to your world. Unless to commend this to you, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, John. I think there's two podcasts. I have a lot, a lot of thoughts on this. Um, Christian parents are so frightened. And, and hear me, I understand their fear because they've been taught something that's not completely true. They've been taught that if someone is not straight, they can't be a Christian. Look, we need to be honest on this podcast that a lot of fundamentalist teaching has said, if you're not a straight person who marries right, then you can't be born again. And that's not what scripture teaches exactly. But they're so frightened of their children's sexuality that they want to, they want a book or a group to just go, let me so scare you children or so teach you so well that you won't consider it. They're, our children at age six have already accepted that homosexuality is a legitimate part of our culture. They understand it better than their parents. It's just part of their world. Even if you homeschool them, especially if you send them to a Christian school, in the Christian school, they're working harder to peer out into the culture than they are at the public school. The public school is in the culture. They don't need, like, it's all in the hallway. So they're not, the, the Christian school people with good teaching and good, like, they're trying harder to see it. And, and our children are completely different than our parents, and, but they're just nodding because they're our children. They love us to death, and they don't want to argue us about sexuality. So I'd say, Les, Chris and I are going to do, um, we are going to do a seminar this, this spring for our school. We own a Christian school and for our parents and for the children, and we're basically going to say, um, what has God made? And that's the first seminar. Number two, what does the fall mean? And it means chaos and confusion. And if you Christian parents can't accept that chaos and confusion are a part of the sexual identity and have always been the case, it's there in Corinth. They are male prostitutes converted and became leaders in that church. There were female prostitutes who were, who were lesbians who were converted. Unless you can accept this chaos and confusion, you're not going to parent well. And by the way, some of you are going to have children who are confused about their sexual identity. We, we all are in the United States of America. We're all going to this bar to have a good barbecue. And unfortunately, that bar allows people to smoke. We smell like smoke. We don't smoke. We don't like smoking, but we're going to smell like smoke. Your children are here. Take it on. This is a big deal. And 
I, I'm sure Sam's book will address it, but it is complicated, John. And you can tell I'm passionate about this because as long as we allow this fundamentalism to answer this question that says, be scared, you go to hell if you don't get this right. And you don't come out and go, wait, wait, wait. We already know in Corinth a bunch of these people were converted. They may not have gotten married. It's complicated. We've all got friends who are struggling with same-sex attraction who probably are never going to get married. And we got to walk with, unless we take this on, we're going to lose our kids. And we're already losing our kids because they see the discussion being framed in freedom and love. And we're framing the discussion in shame and anger. And we're killing ourselves. So I have a little bit to say now. What do I do weekly? <laughs> well, when I come to the text, John, I address it. I have not gone out of my way because it's not a big question in my congregation. My congregation coming from a more conservative point of view, which I appreciate. Hear me. Everybody who's going to write a letter about this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reformed. The Bible's true. Predestination's true. God, you know, all that stuff. But because we're more conservative, I haven't had to like stand up in a setting where lots of people are affirming and that kind of thing and go, wait a minute now. Scriptures are pretty clear about how God made us and who we are and that everybody has to repent of their sexuality, including uh, straight people, gay people, homosexual, transsexual. And that, by the way, gender is not fluid. It's a created mm -hmm. order. Uh, I haven't had to do a lot of that. Yeah, so, no, it, apparently, John, after saying in the text, I didn't have a lot to say about this. I, I have a good bit to say about it. <laughs> yeah. And then look, I, I mean, as you're, you're both saying, I mean, less from your example and I mean, in, in yours as well. I mean, there's complexity to this issue. There, there's difficulty. I, I want to ask the two of you kind of the, the mistakes that you think that the, the church has made on this, because I mean, speaking to the complexity, uh, yes, there, there's mentally is what we think of gender dysphoria. Uh, I mean, there, there's, that's a real issue the church needs to be sensitive of. Um, I, I know Sam Albury talks about that. I haven't read all of his book yet at the time of this recording. I mean, he also highlights intersex people, uh, those who are born with, you know, ambiguous genitalia. I mean, that's a real issue um, that we need to be sensitive of um, in the church. And so, Lesson John, what are some of the mistakes you think that the church has made in, in addressing this? I mean, I would say silence might have been one of those of not talking enough about this. You know, um, we might be swinging the pendulum too far to the other end of the spectrum, talking all the time about it and being obsessed with it. Um, but what, what are some of the mistakes you both would, would highlight? I mean, John, you kind of just did with, with fear, maybe being the uh, foundation of the message. Um, but some thoughts on that. What, what are some of the mistakes that the church has made? Yeah, I, I'm going to piggyback on what Stone said. I do, I do think that engagement with my children on the basis of fear <clears throat> is the opposite of engagement. It, 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 it feigns itself as cultural engagement because I'm, air quotes, taking a stand. You know, someone's got to put their foot down. All right, congratulations. Your foot is down. The foot is officially down, correct? Is that where we got? Is, is the foot down? And, but once we've done that, we look back and we're like, well, you know, it's so hard. You know, it's hard to raise kids in this world, but you got to take a stand. And no one is asking the question about how to move towards my young person. And, and, and by moving towards what I mean is spending time enough with a young person to realize that, like Stone is saying, they absolutely are living in a world with completely different rules. I, I have been the most helped by... Um, the guys who have interacted with uh, Charles Taylor and some of the expressive individualism language that people have used, where from every message that you've got from pop culture and social media and all of the inundation of, 
of uh, form form formative uh, influences on our children, they're told that the ultimate uh, path to self-knowledge, to uh, true life, to joy, to happiness, is to discover your true authentic self uh, and embrace that authentic self over and against any and all comers who might tell you that you really aren't who you've decided that you can be. Um, you're supposed to, you know, you do you. Uh, think through your world on your terms. Don't let anybody come in and tell you that you're not who you are. So when all of a sudden that becomes the dominant philosophy of the day, you've set our, 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 our children, of course, on such a, um, such a mind-numbingly random course of life that can never actually settle on anything. And I don't know that there's anything more radical that the Christian message is trying to say to young people in our day than, hey, stop for just a second. What if that's actually not the case? What if reality doesn't extend from inside of you? But what if it has to come to you from a word from the outside? that only someone else can really tell you who you are in any fundamental sense. I don't know of a more radical message for this generation to try to find creative ways to get across to them than saying, I, I need to upend everything that you think about the way in which your world is, is, is apprehended at all uh, before you and I can have the first conversation about whether or not the voice that's calling you and speaking to you actually is your creator who yes, indeed, lives in the midst of a gender binary. Uh, you know, I think more and more Christians have to stand up and say, we're sticking with the chromosomes, right? Um, this, this is as best as God has given us in the created order. And so how do I address for a student that the freedom that they think that they're grasping at, it's exactly what John is saying, is not actually freedom. You're not mm -hmm. free. You've actually bound yourself more into a, a random morass of now gender itself being on a spectrum, and I can decide one day that I'm, you know, gay, next day I'm bisexual, the next day I'm a, you know, fully male. It, it, the arbitrariness of it may eat its own tail, uh, but in general, there's not anything that, 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 that's, that looks anything like blessing that's come to the life of our children. And I got to move into that long enough to mm -hmm. understand it and have some compassion on it. No, that, that's that's really good. I mean, especially the, the compassion piece as well, because we can overcorrect and, and completely miss that in, in our message. And really, I mean, some of what, you, what you're saying is, you know, what Nancy Piercy gets at in her book, Love Thy Body, that, I mean, the, the entire title saying that, you know, you know the Christian um, worldview of the body actually loves the body more than, than these other worldviews that say that they love the body and say that they're all about freedom actually end up just enslaving us more. So now that's, that's a good word, John. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Les's answer was so good. I'm not hesitating. Um, I just have a lot of thoughts and I've said some of them, but I think, uh, the mistake is not to talk about it and you can certainly talk about it too much, but the mistake is not to talk about it. And, um, and if, and when you talk about it, you only talk about it in terms of shame and disaster. Like my children, for once, this is not a plug for this. We happen to live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee happens to be a crazy conservative town both culturally and even with Christ, we went to a public school and all of my daughters had friends who transitioned and who stayed transitioned. It was not just a phase. And it just made the discussion with my children much easier 
when it just showed up in sixth grade or eighth grade, just made it easier. And my children don't even totally agree with me. My, my children really are Christians. One of them goes to Les's church, Mary Simpson, my youngest. But they basically got there. And, and the discussion I kept having with them is, is God's revelation true? Because we've already lost the discussion. Christians have lost this discussion with the culture. The culture is it, sort of like the pro-choice, pro-life, you know, uh, the West is always going to choose choice over life. They, they don't know this. So the framing of the abortion question, we lost. We're like pro-life. Who's not against pro-life? Pro-choice. It just trumps it in the Western mindset. And the way, the way this question is being framed is it's loving. It's freeing. It's self-fulfilling to give people choices. At our, there's a school right across the road from our church here. Nobody on the podcast can see me pointing out the window. Sorry, guys. <laughs> They're passing out to fifth, sixth, seventh graders how to get hormone treatment. They're doing classes on choose your gender. And they see it and they talk about how loving and how, and they say to parents, if you tell your children what gender they are, you hate them. And in some ways, and the Christians have never accepted this. This is the problem with the Christian, we're a Christian cult, uh, country myth. We've already lost that discussion because that just, it's hard to come and say, no, my position is more loving because it has less choices. Um, and so I, it's, a, it's complicated. I, I don't know what Sam's book is going to be. I'm not convinced. I'm convinced these books are needed and helpful. Hear me. Yeah, thank you. Write more. It, this is a question about revelation. Is there, because if revelation is true, truth never comes from inside of me. This is Lesson's point. Truth always comes from outside of me. And I can't even trust myself. I can only trust that truth because I am, I, I am fallen. And therefore my own mind, heart are confused. Well, boy, we're a long way from that discussion. When you have Christian schools teaching that America was a basic founded as a Christian country and, and um, all these political figures in the early days were just great people. Uh, oh, by the way, they owned slaves, that kind of stuff. I mean, it just gets complicated. And we've, I'm, I'm just telling you, we've lost this discussion because they've been able to put it in a loving and freedom context. Hmm. And, and we're going to struggle, quite if we're just honest, to regain that language. Yes, it's more loving to submit to God. He doesn't always feel it. Um, so I just think there's a lot of work to do here, but I'm going to tell you, parents, because I love you, the quickest, easiest way to do this is let your children get to know people their age who are struggling with this, because then the inherent contradictions are in front of them. You can't teach apologetics. You have to do apologetics. Sorry, John, I got going way, way left and right on that one. Sorry. About no, no, that. It's good. Look, and, and I know in, in many ways, this conversation is just getting started, but I do need to, to wrap it up. So a question I have for you guys is, do you have a question for, for Sam, who again, Lord willing is going to be coming on the, the podcast next week. I know the two of you haven't read the book, uh, just any questions related to the, the body that uh, if you brought him to your church and you'd love to ask him this question in front of your congregation, or if you had the chance to sit down with him, what are some questions you would like to ask him about the body? Last John. I, I think Sam, Sam has been a great, very faithful witness. And, and I, I've <clears throat> benefited from everything that I've ever read him do. I always think he's got such a great balance. And 
I think he comes with a remarkable, um, a, a remarkable set of, um, of perspectives because as a same-sex attracted man trying to minister in um, our world, uh, he's confronting by his very existence so much of what we're going to have to confront as we move forward with this. And in our own denomination, the PCA, this is such a, this is such a prickly topic right now. Uh, I would just love to hear Sam sort of talk about his impression of how those conversations have gone from his perspective uh, and some of the twists and turns that that's taken for us even in the last couple of years with the Revoice Conference and otherwise. I'd just like to hear him kind of interact as a same-sex attracted man. Um, what, what, what does it look like uh, for somebody to be faithful from his, through his eyes? Just because I think that perspective is, as part of what John's talking about, we want to incarnate ourselves into the life of people, even who disagree with us, um, and give them a chance to be heard. And I'd love to hear how he interacts with it. I, I think there's also another sense in which I'd love to hear him talk a little bit about where he puts his same-sex attraction. Um, I'm not going to word this right, and I may have you edit this out of the podcast, Parrot. Um, um, but but I want to know where he puts his same-sex attraction when he encounters people who really do believe that that particular sin struggle is heinous to the point of being an automatic, like John is saying, an automatic um, uh, uh, dismissal of, of either the legitimacy of their faith or of their ability to hold office in a church. Um, I, I, let's see how he interacts with that. I, I, I have some problems with people who express that view, but you know, I, I'd, I'd love to hear exactly how he interacts with it as somebody who's in that same posture. Hmm. John, what about you? I don't, John, let me just start by saying, I'm sure I'll come up. So I don't know what I'd want to answer. I think that um, Les's question is interesting. I think the dilemma right now in the PCA is we've not cast the question well. Um, I think if I were to say something, gosh, I wouldn't. Here's the advice I'd give Sam. I, I think there's just this this question of our body. Like we can write a lot of great books on the theology of the body, and they should be written, and they're important. There is no dismissal; those are important. But that's not the debate. The debate is about divine revelation, and it has been, and always will be. I wish that Sam and like. I don't know, professor at RTS, uh, Westminster Covenant, would compare because, because it, his, you know, his book is going to be probably wonderful. Again, I don't know him. But he's, and it's, he's going to show that the Bible has this robust, amazing view of our body. And it's so robust and beautiful that God himself decided to put it on. He not only made it, as a little picture of himself, he's going to put it on. And that doesn't help people not be gay. Because <laughs> it's a question of broken worship. And, and until you get people to see that the Bible is saying, you must bow down brokenly. Broken in your spirit. I don't mean broken as a sinner like I admit, God, that you know how to run my life better than I do. That's the issue, right? This is the issue of the man leaving his wife for the another woman. This is the issue of 
uh, a child hating their parents for not letting them stay out. God, you know how to run my life better than I do. And I just think that I'd want, I wish there were two people out there saying that there's, we have a better answer than, than this change of gender. Yes. But the issue is a Romans two and three issue that says, we don't want to acknowledge the creator as a creator nor worship him as a creator. And that to me is the more frontline issue. That is in no sense, I, you won't hear this. I'm sure this is a great book. It just ain't the issue. Um, and I don't know how to get our children there. I really, I, re, I mean this really compassionately, like, because our children are going, wait, we're allowing them American flag worshiping parents to be free, to have liberty and to love them where they are. And you're telling me, no, hate them, shame them, and run from them? Boys, we're in a fix. I mean, we're in a fix. And uh, it ain't simple. And that's why I'm saying I don't know what I'd ask Sam. Les's question is the one I'd want to ask because the PCA decided to not answer the question of what is sin. Luther is very famous. If a bird lands in your head, it's not your fault. But if he, but if he builds a nest, it's your fault. This is the question in the PCA. Um, and the PCA just is so mishandled that I don't necessarily even just like we haven't we haven't taken on the question yet. We just just missed it. And um, and Sam's in the middle of that. So I, that's not a great answer, John. I'm, I know we just <laughs> we just made a 27 minute podcast, about 59 minutes, starting with rehearsal dinners, which I'm still pretty passionate about. Saving those <laughs> but, uh, uh, the, you know, John, there you have it. I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you. John has to bring me on once a year for these podcasts. This one, Les, this is, you've got to become a ranter to get invited back more often. Just got to lose control of yourself. Just, and just it makes it on. easier. It makes it easy for me just to kind of <laughs> say a couple of sentences and then just sit back and uh, sip on some coffee. Yeah. Um, no, th this is, this is helpful. And obviously, I mean, I know you, you guys aren't saying this. Sam is not saying that. I mean, this is the only issue he's, he's getting at. Okay, no, and I know that. How does I, the gospel specifically, you yeah. know, speak to this and kind of help us nuance and see the gospel and, you know, yeah. new and glorious ways. And so, I mean, I, I know you guys aren't critiquing that or saying that either, but um, I mean, just this discussion alone shows, I mean, there is just so much to discuss here and there's so much nuance, so much complexity, so much in which we, we just need to continue to have conversations like this without even answering the question, just beginning to open up more and more cans of worms because I mean, kind of getting back to what you, you two are saying, there's so much fear around this and the fear moves so much of us to, to just silence and just looking the other way. And um, yeah, we need to be asking these questions and helping parents think about it. So anyway, I think this conversation has illustrated at least that um, Les and John, there's again, so much more to say, but this is helpful. Uh, it's been helpful to me. Um, I appreciate you guys as you're both lead pastors of a church. You have plenty uh, to deal with. Uh, so taking the time to come on this podcast is uh, very helpful and uh, appreciate you guys. Aaron, thank, thank you, you God. RYM, my friend. Great to be with you and love what you and RYM are doing. Love it. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay.